Where to begin? Well, I guess, hello, I've missed you, and here we go. We're on a mission from God. Oh my God! Okay, it's happening! Alright, Buster, what do you do? I am coming to you from Lima, Peru. Wow. I, I wrote in my notebook this morning, I cannot believe that I'm here. I just remember sitting on my couch in my parents' basement, what, six months ago, seven months ago, looking at Google Maps and zooming all the way out and looking at all of Central America, all of Northern South America, all of the Central Coast of South America, and then that final tail bit of South America and thinking, I can imagine getting to California. I can imagine getting to Mexico. I could maybe even imagine getting to Honduras, Costa Rica, places like that. I couldn't imagine Colombia. I couldn't even begin to imagine Ecuador and now Peru. I'm in a world that only ever existed in dreams, in daydreams, in ideas of movies and people that I meet in these fantastical, imaginative ways of thinking about the world in places where we probably will never go. People will never meet. Cultures will never meet or know. Cities will never know more about than just the names and their location on a map. And now I have connected a continuous line from my country, from America, from Colorado, down to Lima, Peru, with a total of about 6,000 if I go in a straight line, eight or 9,000 if I meander kilometers until the end of my trip. Now, a lot has happened in the last couple of weeks. Ah, man, where to even begin? I was in Colombia, I believe the last time that we spoke, and I was in Medellin. I was resting, fixing the motorcycle, and things were changing in life. I stopped focusing on making as many videos and started actually working to earn more money in order to sustain this trip as well as provide a little bit of much needed, much missed structure in my life. If any of you were listening around the time when I was in Panama over into the first steps in Colombia, it was a dark time. I was fatigued. I was very alone. I still am very alone, but I was very lonely. I had no structure to my life other than the endless miles before me. I was stressed, I was overwhelmed, I was making bad decisions, I was trying to drown my time, my spare time, my extra time, because the unstructured nature of any moment I had free felt overwhelmingly, gnawingly tedious and painful. I changed a lot of my life around while I was in Medellin, and then I hit the road once again. I traveled south through about five or six hours of pouring blinding cold rain, which was a uh, pretty, pretty typical weather out there. But the fact that I got five straight hours of it is just great. I was so wet that I had forgotten that it was raining all day until I arrived at my final destination and realized it was still raining. And the fact that I came into the hotel and it was in a dry place for once was actually the strange part. The rain was normal. The being dry, the being with a roof over my head and not having blinding cold rain hitting my eyeballs when I opened my visor. That was the strange part. Eventually, I wandered up and down the mountains of central and southern Colombia, hitting altitudes that brought a lot of rain and a lot of cold and hitting low valley points, which actually were starkly hot in comparison, until finally arrived at the border between Ecuador and Colombia. I rode across the border with little to no problems. It was one of the most relaxed and tranquilo and chill border crossings I've ever had on this trip. It was a tiny little mountain pass where most people just drive right across because the governments have an agreement where you can go to the first town on either side of the border to do shopping or something like that and then you can come back. 
But for me, I just waited in the very short line to get the papers for the motorcycle, changed some money, got cheated a little bit, but that was mostly my fault because I didn't do a thorough count of the money that the man changed with me, and then set off in the mountains to head all the way to Quito. I made it to Quito, and I waited about two weeks there to rest, to work, and to make a plan, because what happened was the day that I was crossing into Ecuador, I was informed by first one stranger, then another stranger, and then multiple strangers that... Ecuador was about to begin protests. Ecuador was about to bring its begin its annual demonstrations of normally the indigenous people against the government. Now, the, every time I was told about this, it was kind of in hushed tones because what happened was in 2019, they had their annual protests and things turned very ugly. It lasted over a month. The whole country was shut down. People died. Many, many, many people were injured. Many people lost their jobs. Things were just shut down in general for weeks and weeks on end. And so people had fear that this time was going to be equally, if not more, contentious. And lo and behold, a couple of weeks later, as I practically ran out of the country, they were right. I stayed a few weeks in Quito and then set a departure date. The departure date came and all the roads were closed. I waited another day. The roads remained closed. I waited another day. The barricades were bigger. There were more fires. There were more burning tires. There were higher amounts of dirt. There were more trees cut down. Things were more unsure. Finally, a day came when, for some reason, one reason or another, the pa the paros, as they are called, los paros, were a little bit more relaxed, a little bit more tranquilo, almost as if everyone was taking a breath before the next wave. And so I took that opportunity, quickly packed up my motorcycle, and rode straight to the coast of Ecuador because I was told if you get out of Quito, if you get to the coast, everything will be tranquilo. Spoiler alert, it was not. I get to the coast, the cloudy, muggy, but beautiful and off-season and therefore quiet coast of Ecuador in a tiny little town called Montanita, which is kind of like the party town, but since it's off-season, not really that many parties going on, just me walking on the beach. I mean, that's a party if you ask me. The first few days were wonderfully relaxing and, and just pleasant to be in a tiny little town like that. And then the vegetables ran out, and then the eggs ran out, and then the cash ran out. And then I realized, even if I wanted to, I could not leave the small town because every day from early, early in the morning until 7 or 8 at night, the roads were blocked by angry, oftentimes drunk men, mostly men, some women, covering the road with burning tires, blocks of stone, and trees, as well as branches. And so I realized that... We were going on several weeks into the, the demonstrations in Ecuador, and everyone was telling me that things were only going to get worse. So I had to make a decision. I was in a town that had no more money in the ATMs, with a credit card that the, the information for which is actually kind of stolen, someone's using it that isn't me, but I don't want to report it yet because I can't get a new credit card unless I wait down here in one place for a long time, and I don't really want to risk not having the credit card because sometimes it's my last resort for when I don't have cash or when something goes wrong. So all I had was that credit card, barely any cash, no eggs left, no vegetables left, half a pack of spaghetti and half a pack of salsa or spaghetti sauce. I had to make a decision. Was I to risk staying longer on the coast or was I to do something crazy and leave in the middle of the night and try to ride as far as possible away from the coast before they started shutting the roads down? Because the thing that happens when you're on the coast of Ecuador is you are at the will and the behest and the mercy of anyone who might block the road because there's only one road. It's basically Highway 1 out there, California Highway 1. There's only one road on the coast. If you block one small bridge in one small town with a couple of cement blocks and a dozen men, 
you stop the entire coastal transit of goods, people, police, money, eggs. These things are in no specific priority of importance. So, after much thought, I decided it would be better and interesting to leave at three in the morning and try to avoid as many roadblocks as possible, ride through the night, and see how far I could get through Ecuador before I got stopped, before I encountered a road where they no longer would let me pass. And so, with great nerves, I woke up before three, saddled my horse, my great gordita steed, wore every single layer that I had, including my winter gloves, and set off riding along the Ecuadorian coast, praying to God that I did not encounter any roadblocks. Within 15 minutes, I hit my first roadblock. As I was approaching it, I saw that there was a man angrily gesturing and negotiating with the men, only a few, only four or five, with the thinly blocked road, who was then quickly let through after a couple of exchanged harsh words. A motorcycle or two slipped through with him, and that's when I realized this was not as organized or determined as usual, perhaps because of the hour, and so I slipped through with the other motorcyclist. Roadblock number one crossed. Not 15 minutes later, the second one came. Something similar happened. A car made it through. Another car was blocked. A couple of motorcycles started squeezing through. I squeezed through with the other motorcycles. Finally, a third roadblock and a fourth roadblock. Each one something similar happening where somebody looking ashamed of themselves lets us through, realizing that we have nothing to do with what they're protesting. We're just normal people like them trying to go about their lives, trying to move throughout the world, and they are obstructing that. Once I hit the more or less open road between the coast of Ecuador and the next major city, Guayaquil, that's when I realized my first big oversight and mistake, which is riding at night is already not fun. Riding at night, in my opinion, is not fun, dangerous, you can't see very far. When you're supposed to be looking through turns on your motorcycle, when you're turning, you're not supposed to be looking in front of you, you're supposed to be looking where you're going in order to direct your motorcycle, but that's impossible at night given that your headlights are literally pointed at where you are pointed. They're not looking at where you're going, they're looking at where you are, and therefore you can't turn properly, you can't anticipate properly, and everything is far more heightened and scary because you can't see as far. Add on top of that, you're wearing a helmet with a windshield with no windshield wipers. Have you ever had a rain come when your windshield wipers won't work? It becomes very hard to drive, very stress-inducing, very quickly. Now add in that headlights coming towards you and absolutely no space between you and your quote-unquote windshield, and you become practically blind every time the mist increases above a certain level and a headlight is coming the other direction. And so it was that I continued along the Ecuadorian coast, barely able to see, praying to God that I would not encounter another roadblock, shivering in the cold as the rain seeped into my boots, my gloves, and my jacket. Finally, I hit Guayaquil, the last major city in Ecuador I would encounter before reaching the border, around 6 or 7 a.m., right at sunrise. I stumbled into a gas station, found a an ATM that still had cash in it, gave a banana to the homeless man who, without even hesitating, immediately asked for more, ordered the strangest quote-unquote omelet I've ever had, which was actually a sandwich with just eggs in it, drank the best shitty coffee I've ever had, warmed my bones, and set a new destination in my GPS. Because what I was doing was essentially bunny hopping as far as I dared and then making a new plan every time I arrived a few hours or 100 kilometers further because I didn't know when I was going to be stopped. And I didn't know whether I was going to make it five kilometers or 500 kilometers before they stopped me. So I set the next destination in my maps and continued. I encountered two more roadblocks in the time that it took me between 7 a.m. 
and 12 p.m. when I arrived at finally the border between Ecuador and Peru. The first and second roadblock both, blessedly, had sections in the middle of them where motorcycles had been crossing and therefore there was a more or less stable path across the giant pile of dirt. The only problem is most of those motorcycles weigh about 150 pounds, not 450 pounds. So crossing them was always a spectacle and always a little bit of a rush as well because if you hesitate, if you stop, that gives people the opportunity to come in to start asking questions and to perhaps prohibit you. But if you slip across before anyone can get over the spectacle that is the American riding through on his giant motorcycle with his overloaded baggage, then maybe nobody will stop you. And so it was I passed through my sixth roadblock and finally into land where the only remnants of roadblocks were the scarred and charred and pockmarked sections of the asphalt, which, which had been burned presumably by previously existing and now cleared roadblocks, assume, presumably by the masses of police that I began to see at nearly every quote-unquote important intersection. Police in riot gear, police in groups of 15 and 20, police with their armored transports nearby. Clearly Ecuador was in a state of turmoil. Finally, I arrived at the place where normally I would have stayed the night, but given that it was only 11 a.m., I decided perhaps I should just cross into Peru today and just get out of Ecuador before any of this gets any worse. And so it was I found myself at the border between Peru and Ecuador around 12 or 1 p.m., doing my paperwork, going back and forth between offices as each one gave me a miscommunicated answer to a question I asked repeatedly, finally, successfully, and legally crossing into Peru. Now, when you cross into Peru on the coast in the north, you have your first main town, I think it's called Tulumbe or something like that, or you can ride along the coast to a tiny little town, similar to Mont Montanita, where I was staying in Ecuador, but it's called Mancora. And so it was I found myself riding a brisk two and a half hours, practically numb, but with a smile on my face, into Peru. I had now crossed into my 10th country on this trip. And with that, with a smile on my face, no idea of what the local currency was or what its exchange rate was with American dollars, barely any gas left in my gas tank, absurdly high gas prices greeting me in Peru as they have their own gasoline crisis, an empty stomach, a head full of pain as the headaches got worse and worse with the hundreds of kilometers traveled, about 13 or 14 hours of traveling done in one day, 600 kilometers, and I rolled into my hotel on the coast of Peru. I was greeted by a grandmother and her daughter, two of the sweetest people I've met in Peru yet. We talked for almost an hour about life, about traveling, about the travelers they meet, about what it takes to travel by motorcycle, about the misconceptions about what it takes to travel by motorcycle, about Spanish, about English, about what they do for their living, about how beautiful their small hotel on the coast of Peru was, about how difficult it was to run a small hotel on the coast of Peru given the pandemic. And I made two new friends in Peru. I practically collapsed in my bed, tried to keep my eyes open for as long as possible after eating dinner, went to sleep around 9 p.m., woke up the next day at 8, ready to travel again. Over the next couple of days, I knew that I wanted to push hard to Lima, Peru. One, because I had a lot of work to do, and it was getting very difficult to keep up with the little bit of work that I could on the road in my tired and often unconnected to the internet because of bad internet state. And so it was I found myself traveling about 500 kilometers every day for three days until I made it to Lima. And I crossed a lot, a lot of northern coastal desert Peru in such a short time. I crossed giant desert mountains, giant 
dunes, like from the movie Dune, like from Lawrence of Arabia. I crossed barren, open land where the only things to notice around you were the trash stuck to all the bushes around you. I passed coves and scenes deserted but beautiful enough to warrant massive tourist attractions in the United States and yet completely deserted and empty with not a single road leading to the cliffs, the bay, the beach, whatever it might be. I passed beautiful, beautiful things mostly in a cold, numb state from the wind and from the cold because right now Peru is more than usual cold and more than usual cloudy and more than usual windy all very negative factors for traveling by motorcycle. And so it was with a mix between sickness from the long miles and the cold wind and the endless vibrations of traveling at over 100 kilometers per hour through these vast, unending coastal deserts and a sense of awe and delight in the few moments when I would realize what I was doing and where I was and that this headache, this discomfort, this nausea, whatever it might have been that was distracting me at that time would pass, but the memory of having done that would linger. And it would linger as how I wanted to remember it, either as something beautiful or as something painful. And so it is that I sit here now remembering something beautiful. Even with the pain, even with the discomfort, I remember it with a smile on my face. And now we come to Lima, Peru. Still cloudy, still haven't seen the sun since entering Peru. Finally figured out how solace work and what the exchange rate between solace and American dollars are. Currently looking for a shop to do some maintenance on the motorcycle. Sleeping full nights cooking meals, taking walks, and learning more and more how to live a healthy and somewhat balanced life in the craziness that is this strange journey from America to Patagonia. And I can't believe I've actually made it this far. Nice. Make friends first. Make sales second. Make love third. In no particular order. Where are they? Ah!